and welcome to this week's Hardcast. Uh, I think we're on, like, seven or eight. I don't know what episode we're on anymore. Uh, you could date it. Today is currently March the 24th, 2011. And uh, mark it in your calendars, ladies and gentlemen, because it is a, uh, a banner day for Channel Fireball. Uh, you know, sends the normal introductions. We're actually just going to bring you to the headline news. We have our newest writer, uh... I don't know, the, the best tagline for this person's... Uh, if you've seen the show notes, you've, you've already cheated. But otherwise, I don't know the best way to, uh, to talk about this person's resume. So I'm just going to introduce you to the Paul Reisel. Are you there, Paul? Yes, I am here. Hi, guys. Good to be with you guys. All right. Uh, well, you know, the cat is more or less out of the bag at this point. Uh, we'd like to welcome Paul to the the uh, kind of the fire circle, kind of the, the, the drum group. I don't know, it's kind of a hippie thing. But uh, to the team... Um, I'm excited. Paul, what are your initial thoughts coming to, to write for Channel Fireball? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. It's, um, uh, you know, when I came back to the, uh, to playing Magic in, uh, uh, in, in middle 2009, um, you know, it's a totally different landscape for me, and, and I, uh, I sort of forced out on my own with a few, um, sort of connections that I, that I had from, from before. Um, you know, very quickly it became apparent to me that, that sort of the, the class of the professional magic playing world uh, was uh, was centered around the Channel Fireball team, and um, and obviously you know I, I've made connections with uh, um, with Luis and, and David and uh, and Josh and, and and you know most of the members of the team already, and um, and you know to me I, I kind of see this as sort of um, you know cementing a relationship that uh, that was uh, already. So I'm very excited to uh, um, to start preparing with the team, start uh, writing articles and filming videos and. Um, and you know, sort of repping the team at uh, at future tournaments. Excellent. Yeah, we have Dallas just a few weeks away. Um, <clears throat> we're obviously very excited to everything you're going to bring to the table. It's awesome. You're going to be doing video content as well as written content. Um, and I think for us, what's really great is we're starting to get a monopoly on California because so much <laughs> of the team, so much of the team is based out of the, out of California and works so much there that it's so great to have access to somebody who's not hundreds of thousands of miles away, like Paulo or or Martin, or a lot of those guys, where it's, it's a lot easier for you to meet up in Southern California with guys like Luis, like you're doing this weekend, uh, and really kind of get the uh, the think tank going. Absolutely, you know, and, and uh, really there is no substitute for, uh, um, you know, for, for face-to-face, you know, high-level practice and, and, um, and sort of theorizing, and I think that uh, um, it's just something that, that builds on itself, um, you know, when you have sort of a, a brain trust all in the same location that uh, is, you can only help increase sort of the, um, the quality of the decks we're playing and, and sort of the way we think about the game. And, um, you know, hopefully that, that'll, uh, that'll help put out, uh, you know, good product uh, out there as well. So, um, you know, uh, you know, it means a lot to me that, uh, that John and Luis and, and everyone, you know, um, you know, thought enough of, of, of me to, to sort of um, help make this work. And, and I'm excited to, to see where it goes. Yeah, it's it's exciting that you're into the uh, the face to face aspect of testing. There's so many different schools of thought these days. Um, you know, obviously it seems like it's just kind of an awkward boys club when a lot of people get together. Connelly ends up eating a lot of salsa. Webb eats a giant burrito, and Gabe just laughs and makes money the entire time. Um, yeah. Or there's the Ben Stark approach, which is if I'm in the same room with you, I can be on Magic Gathering online the entire time, but we're probably sharing information through osmosis, so everything's fine. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you're a player that actually thinks that the the physical testing against a, a, an opponent in front of you goes a long way. Sure. Yeah. No, and and uh, basically my only option right now in in, in Southern California is uh, is my my good friend 
um, you know, Matt Sperling, but it's difficult to coordinate our schedules, um, you know, all the time. And, you know, now that we have um, sort of this network, as you mentioned before, that, that's really beginning to develop, um, it's going to be easy for for for, uh, for me to pop up there for a weekend or or, or people to come out and and, uh, and really get everyone in the same room. Um, you know, that you know, really the best way to um, to improve everyone uh, as a whole is, is to bounce ideas off each other. And I definitely um, sort of agree with Ben's philosophy that, um, you know, you can, you can be on moto um, with your head in the clouds, but, uh, you know, just by sort of watching a match between, um, you know, two other high-level players and seeing what they're doing, it might, uh, um, it might you know, put something in your head you hadn't thought of before. You might be able to uh, to impart some, some wisdom on them as well. You'd be surprised, uh, you know, even after playing the game for so long, uh, you know, you still are, are learning things all the time. So, yeah. It's uh, it's really, again, I, I can't praise this enough. You are considered by many people to be the premier, you know, tournament report writer, uh, just deck breakdown analysis writer. Uh, I've actually, you know, like, if you've ever listened to this podcast before, if you know anything about me, I never read I apologize. I think what he was trying to say is that you're the premier deck writer when it comes to tournament analysis and deck analysis when it comes to that. What's, is that what you're planning to bring to Channel Fireball? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I have to sit down with Luis a little bit and talk about it. Uh, um, you know, it's uh, obviously an honor that, that, uh, that people enjoy reading my, my tournament reports. And, um, you know, it's certainly I, you know, I, I, I hope to continue to be able to bring those and, um, and, and sort of add in a little bit of the, the color and the flavor around the um, sort of periphery of a level tournament that I think you know really makes it worth the time. Um, but uh, you know, it, it won't just be that. You know, I'll uh, you know writing sort of deck breakdown articles and and uh, and putting new ideas out there. Uh, I'll certainly be doing draft videos and daily event uh, walkthroughs um, as well as draft walkthroughs and 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 uh, and sort of um, putting my own you know hopefully unique spin on, on a lot of the um, the great content that some of the other you know writers are already bringing. Well, you're going to be a very valuable addition to the team. Um, obviously, from your play, that has never been a question. Uh, your results in tournaments have been phenomenal, and I think that's one of the things that we have to look forward to uh, at, as often as we can on Channel Fireball. So um appreciate the fact of you coming on today with us, uh, letting us announce it to the world that you're joining the Channel Fireball team. Um, no problem. No problem. Thanks for thanks for having me on, and I, I appreciate uh, um, uh, you know everything that you guys do, and, and certainly look forward to uh, you know hopefully coming on many times in the future, and and being able to spend uh, you know more than just a couple minutes with you guys. <laughs> well, we look forward to it, and uh, I will be seeing you down at GP Dallas. So Excellent. I think Tristan. Yeah. Yes. Okay. We're gonna we we, we just. No uh, on that note, uh, I'm going to thank you for your time, Paul. Uh, welcome to the team, and we will be reading your articles and seeing more of you very soon. All right, great. Th- thanks so much uh, for everything, and uh, I hope to talk to you guys soon. All right, have a great evening, Paul. Thank you again. And that was our interview with Paul Reitzel, and now let's go to our regular articles. Uh, we have another new writer this week. Not not quite a Paul, but something close. <laughs> <laughs> no. He wrote his first article for Channel Fireball about the three keys to deck building, to listen, to understand, and connect. One of the advantages of this is we have a hard time understanding how the deck building process works. He uses these 
general words to describe how to fix things out. It goes into great detail on how each one works. It really will help you when it comes to deck building, uh, especially Connect. That's the one that really got to me, and I can see this is where it works with the pros. He says, when you're talking to people about a format or a deck, ask the right questions. What are you trying to accomplish? What have you tried? What did or didn't work? And what is your best solution to the deck? I could see in these great grand meetings that they got that you talked about with Paul that mm -hmm. each one of them comes with their ideas and say, well, this works well against this combination and that one. So it's a very good article for those people who want to design better, especially with the right people. So I think that was a fun article, and I think you guys, I think your readers will get a lot out of it. So, and he admits he's, and he admits the one thing about deck building is that 95% of his ideas don't work, but when the 5% do, that's what really matters. So, what do we got next this week? We have Owen this week, who has wrote another article about how to break through from X2 to O2, about the keys to doing it by having the nut draw, playing aggro, having fun with your deck, and acquiring the right cards. The main thing that he goes through, he explains how a lot of play mistakes are made by not playing the style of deck that you want to play, and the keys to getting the right cards to fill in the deck can make the difference between being a person who is X2 and making day two, or someone like Owens who's making top eights and top 16s regularly. Taking that step forward now. As <laughs> far funny, as I was, having, uh, I was having lunch lunch with Luis the other day. And he was like, you know, you misquoted me. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I didn't say, I didn't say Owen was going to win Player of the Year. I said he was going to have a, uh, a great year and a breakout year for him. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I'm pretty sure you might have, you know, used the words Player of the Year. I don't think I did. I don't think I did. Are you sure? You might have just like, maybe I misquoted you saying, you know, you you think he's your pick 100% for sure. But I don't think I was wrong in saying it. you definitely said it. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. And we all kind of joked and laughed. And I was like, you know, the best part is Luis is covered either way. If Owen goes on and has an amazing year and, and you know somehow wins Player of the Year, Luis is going to go back and call, say, oh, I, I called it over a year ago. And then if he doesn't, Luis will just say nothing. And, again, he's squeaky clean as always. <laughs> Josh this week goes into blue the Cobblade deck, the one that is the most popular deck out there right now. He describes how a how that deck works and then how a mono-red goblin deck in standard works. And the Mono Red Goblin deck is very interesting and very aggressive. It is almost I don't want to say it's it's got the red deck wins type mentality. It's almost like a Boros mentality of it comes out and it just puts so much pressure on you. And it's a nice option because everybody plays Cobblade now. You're thinking about how you need to build your deck to with it. We also have an article on how you want to see how to draft correctly and win another draft. Webb again this week. Basically, his deck design was you trade with the other person's creatures until you can get morbid plunder for the win. Again, like we talk about every week with his with his draft articles. If you really want to learn how to do it and learn how to do it right, he's the man to go to for it. I don't know how much more you can add to that outside of the fact that this is, you know, this is a man who has his niche. Now, and that's the way it is. Just uh, article or is he also? Uh, this is his article. We're not talking about the video part. 
Oh, I was just okay, okay. He, but he did he did both this week, as I understand. Yes, he did. He did both this week. But the article again is another one of his classic articles of being able to put the right the right deck build to work and to be able to be effective again. Like uh, Kyle this week trying to make magic better. Mind boggling article this week. He has a lot of theories on how to improve the game of magic. And he did, there's a three things to know out there, uh, done by Gerard Fabiano. And he did it in his own way, talked about it. And then he also asked some pros what he think could be used to change Magic the Gathering for the better. Both Luis and Paulo uh, had some comments on this. And Luis's comments and Paulo's ring the same thing as having the team events come back. <laughs> they love those team events. The strength of the team event when you read the older articles and look at the older videos and stuff and how they talk about that in such reverence, I don't see why it wouldn't work. Another one of his ideas was mentioned to him was change the mulligan rules. Uh, getting various ideas thrown around, such as getting a free mulligan for having zero, one, or six, seven, and seven lands for limited. Oh, for limited, that makes a little more sense. I mean, obviously, in Constructed, they, they took something like that away uh, because of deck types. In limited, I, I can understand why it would be a much more uh, thing to have. Um, I think it's a question: How particular do you want to make the rules for different formats? Obviously, the broader you can make things, the more things they cover, the easier it is for players to pick up. I mean, I think that the reason you would leave rules intact isn't, you know, like the reason you would uh, address them and then just make decisions is based on magic as a whole and not this competitive player. Where obviously a rule like that would. It'll go a long way towards seeing the best player from quote winning more often and taking a little bit of that luck factor out. But I think that it's an unrealistic goal to have when you're talking about getting new players transition from, you know, the only thing in here in his article that he writes about that I, I kind of disagree with, I'm not a big fan of banning cards. He is using discretion when banning cards. And he only, he likes to take the approach of banning cards more frequently. I'm not a real big fan of that, only because, like he says, the example of a card that would be better now if it was banned would be sort of Feast and Famine. Uh, yeah, that's sort of thing. It's, it hasn't been in the environment very long. Players haven't necessarily adapted as much as they could. Um, it's not dominant in all decks. I mean, sure... You could play it spanning various different decks, and it's not very specific to one or the other. But I, I think both are, are very rational that I don't think are, are good at all. It doesn't, it doesn't reward players from the outside of the box or kind of going against the high vibe of the collective of, of thought when it comes to what is the best of something. And, and um, it would just, it would all, I mean, I think if you had something like that in the long run, what would happen is. Oh, this deck won five tournaments. It has this one like, card that's really good in it. Well, we should just ban it. Then then we'll have something else. Uh, instead of okay, well, how do I how do I adapt? I mean, can I play with it a different? Why can I expect players who rely too heavily on it? Um, I definitely like things the way they are instead. Uh, I wouldn't want to snap ban anything under any circumstance. It is, you know, widely accepted as far too overpowering, you know, reaching and unstoppable. And thankfully, we haven't seen that in a very long time. It's a very risking the fact of format, like right in the middle of it. So that could be very difficult to do. But this week also, why Legacy can drive you crazy, even with a good deck, and why Adam will be playing next time thanks to AJ Soccer. 
he has a really good deck for Legacy. Sometimes the matchups kill you, and when you watch enough people play Legacy, even a great player like Adam is willing to, to look at other people's decks and run with them. It shows that even really great players are willing to change with the times. And even though his deck is a very good matchup against most of the games, if it's not successful, it's not successful. So it's another fun article about Legacy and with how popular Legacy has been. We have key mistakes with your cube, and while with White forgetting that it can be important to the early game, uh, Andrew's article this week focuses on that. A lot of people forget to put aggro white in their decks, in their cubes like that, and it can make for a cube to be not as powerful as it could be or as fun and interesting as it could be, could be and he talks about that in there. You're limiting the archetype. People know that play cube, white's a very fun color to play with. It's perpetually underdrafted. It is still a beautiful thing to have when the situation comes right, and white can be a... Very, very nice secondary color in a cube to use. Uh, as I've said, it really depends on gold style. Um, article, I article this week said about around the idea of adjusting white by adding a rebel sub theme by uh, actually changing the creature types or the cards in the cube so there'd be more synergy in white and a uh, strategy. Uh, I'm personally subscribed to the school of thought thing that you stop playing magic as soon as you create cards that are in the game. But from a design point, uh, and you know, it can be fun to uh, have a box and make things rebels, victim to rebel, you know, core picture, speed, your guy, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, Paulo this week teaches us the importance of the three major resources that you have when it comes to magic. And which one you need based on the major matchup mechanics you have. Again, this is another interesting article because a lot of times when you need cards and you need life and you need time to get your deck to go, it depends on which matchup you need. Like the example is when you're playing aggro versus red with a lot of burn, you need life. Or control versus non-burn aggro, you need time. He explains why each of the matchups work the way they do and why, which one you need for the battle. And it's a fun article, in his case, for that, because there were some that I didn't really think that I would have never thought would have worked. In his case, you know, the aggro versus aggro, which I would have thought would have been a life thing. Well, he says aggro versus aggro is you need cards, because you need to be able to have more answers than your opponent has in that matchup. So, again, I learned something from it, and I think a lot of you will learn something from it, too. But, uh, it, it's very key. And I love how Paulo breaks down the game in a, in a different and unique kind of way and really kind of, you know, phrases things. You know, it's, some of it seems obvious, some of it seems right at the surface you should know it anyway, but if you really stop and think about it and break apart these things, uh, understanding what resources are the most important, the most matchups, I could go a long way. I mean... You definitely your your play style will change very different on what you're playing against, and your card evaluations within your own constructed deck will have to change a lot. Uh, so understanding that goes a very long way. What are we gonna play this week at FNF? Uh, online right now, all the rage is mono white Ameria. I, I want to say like control 
although it's kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, you've got your Squadron Hawk, Stoneford, Mystic package like you do pretty much everywhere else these days. But then you kind of, and your version of going big is kind of uh, Pilgrim's Eyes, Sun Titans, Amerias for the for the long game. Uh, I've seen this deck all over the place online, and it does. It, I mean, I think one of the reasons it's on the map right now is there is not as much emphasis on spreading seas and tectonic edges as there's been in the past standard environments very recently. Ameria has been a next to unplayable card just because it it kind of got a lot of splash hate from other things trying to destroy lands or deal with Valakut decks. And now the answers of Valakut decks have kind of morphed and they're very different and they don't make as much up of much of the metagame. So a card is the only way it does it. The one thing I really like about the deck is the sideboard, where they have one swamp and four member sides. Uh, it's quite a surprise. I'm member We have the product of the week. Yes, the product of the week. Yeah, action. The, uh, product preview. Action sales have just launched on ShutterArbol.com. As we're speaking, you're currently pre-ordering for $7.99. And hopefully by the time we're all listening, all other varieties of the product will be available. So I think introduction happens. <laughs> it's amazing you can pre-order this, but seventy nine ninety nine. It seems awfully low for a booster box. Uh, Okay. Well, again, my favorite segment, five up and five down. Uh, and I like letting you take control of this. You pick somewhere to go, I'll talk about it. Okay. Not surprisingly, the staple juggernaut of Legacy, Force of Will. Force of Will. You know... Again, this card has been set buzz recently, but I can't remember how many times I've done it in different arenas. But uh, kind of the running gag that we've had is, could this card reach $100? Uh, it doesn't unrealistic anything. The problem is where we come up the end of May as a wizard back. You have half of every Star City weekend being a major legacy event. It's a format that is almost complete. Um, at this point. So, a format that is helped back by not only Wizard Cell, major tournaments, tournaments, checks and bases format. In a lot of printing, which everyone has been buzzing forever, it seems like this card will definitely reach 100 others. And another staple of Legacy, Goblin Lackey. Goblin Lackey, you know, to say anything that is either here 
a competitive deck in the format should be on the rise. Again, with the backing of the format by not only Sarsi Games, but Wizards of the Coast. Again, we've got the Grand Prix coming up at the end of May. Pretty much anything viable for Legacy could be going up in value, and it's a sustainable value if these tournaments, if this format is going to stay healthy. So Goblin Lackey has almost doubled in value in the last couple of months. This guy has really, you know, people recognize it's not just Goblin, not, not just the Goblins as a deck, not just its competitive deck, and not just that it's good in Legacy, but this is a format that people are playing and that other more people obviously want to play. Um, Dual Lands. All across the board. I mean, again, you're talking Legacy. But the nice thing about Dual Lands is they're pretty much in every other casual to old format. Yes, you only need an X1 set, in theory, for your Commander or EDH play. Some people get a little greedy and want to buy a second or third set so they don't have to swap them out of whatever deck they're playing. Few of owners need these cards for sure. Obviously, vintage players have already gotten their sets long, long ago. But uh, again, what other example of legacy driving up the price of things? Dual lands again in con- in conjunction with uh, with the supported format and all the casual formats that also have them. They've really they've really gone up in value. And the one I was kind of surprised to see on your list is Imperial Seal. Imperial Seal is a bit of an oddity, but then again. It as a whole is a bit of an oddity because you really can't find this card anywhere right now, uh, especially the English version. It's uh, it seems like one of those cards that when you know, like I remember when Portal cards became legal in Standard, uh, it instantly had value and it just kind of sat there for a very long time. And again, now with these these kind of casual formats, these player-driven formats like Cuba Commander, you've seen. A lot of this old stuff that a lot of people didn't pay attention to, finding a whole lot of value. So even trying to slap a price tag on Imperial Seal is really difficult. I think the last one we had in store, probably for about $350, uh, that was a while ago, and it was a one-shot. Someone we actually knew decided to some other stuff. We saw the next thing on the side. We had England's, anyone, uh, even before I even heard of a... Kind of not surprised it's going up, but I think it's going to find a home. It's sort of fire ice. Yeah, you know, this kind of happened uh, over the weekend. It's funny. Um, Luis and I did a segment on Magic TV last week for the top eight equipment of all time. In conjunction with that, there have been more legacy lists running stone. Just all the swords. Uh, each one serving a different purpose there. Right now, having like why the big deal system shadow seeds actually well, fire ice is kind of universally thought to be the best of the sword cycle. Uh, it's sweet advantage. You're gonna get plus four power effectively. You're gonna draw, which is a big deal. And uh, again, staple, staple, casual format staple. Now that you're gonna see it in competitive decks and we're gonna see card is appetite for you can get $750. It's a good buy. Yeah, I was, I was actually hoping to pick up some more of those at a reasonable price because I thought the sword was dropping, but I was incorrect on that one. Let's go to Prismatic Omen. Yeah. Uh, I think all cards and sessions which are all from the extended era or, yeah, it's current. Uh, again, everything, you know, now you're kind of seeing it. The really top stuff that people were excited about that were held a lot of its value and extended 
when the season started, started to taper off as well. Um, Prismatic Omen, not getting it done anymore and extended. I mean, it's still an okay deck, but again, the season's winding down. You're probably going to want to unload this card for $9 or under. You also have in there another one that's related to that season, Kitchen Finks. Kitchen Finks was one of those cards that was kind of like Path to Exile on the way up recently, uh, finding its way to 4 or $5 as an uncommon that you really needed for a lot of your competitive extended decks. Again, season's winding down. The landscape's going to look different when people come back to pick it up and play it again. Uh, if you can trade these away at 4 or $5 to people who still think that they're going to be hot, hot, hot right now, not a bad idea. I think we're currently selling them on the website for the $3 range. Uh, and it can dip back down to the two sub two dollar during the off season. So it's one of those things you could trade away high right now, pick back up in the off season at their low point, and if you do need them to play extended at the end of the year when the season picks back up, it won't be hard to do. Hmm. Uh, Master of Ethereum, right there in the same boat. Obviously, the tempered steel decks were very popular once scars came right out of the gate. You know, it's still kind of playable in Legacy, although this guy, you know, has much of a necessity since you have Arcbound Ravager. In extended, the Tempered Steel deck's not as popular. Uh, you know, it's all about Forge Mystic all over the place right now. So there's another example of Legacy cards going down. This guy has kind of always been a disadvantage in his life, though. He was the foil in one of the pre-cons for Shards of Alara. He was reprinted in Elspeth versus Tezzeret as one of the rares in there. So he's a, he's around. A Johnny Vengeance. Again, same kind of thing. Uh, great card. You know, this card kind of flirted more with playability over the last extended season. It wasn't in a deck, per se. Planeswalkers are, are Planeswalkers. You know, you're not going to knock them down for being bad, necessarily. And the Johnny Vengeance isn't bad. I think he's one of the, the better Planeswalkers, and I think time has shown us that over what he's been able to do in competitive magic. But right now, he's just not seeing anything, and the season's leaving. We're talking really at like a $4 card right now, and that's really sad for a Mythic Rare Planeswalker. Yeah, that that is. And the one that, again, shocked me, and maybe that's because Valakut, quote, isn't in anymore, is Primeval Titan. Yeah, there you go. I mean, right now I think we're selling it for twenty nine ninety nine, which is a bit of a shocker. Oof. Yeah, Just... I can remember when... Uh, I, I can remember there was a short period of time where Primeval Titan was a hit and then quickly a myth that people thought it was going to be amazing... He didn't quite have the finishes people were expecting to right after M11 came out. He might have hit 29.99, although I can't imagine. I can't remember really him going that low until this point. This card is really fun to bottom for C4, and to me, it's not the floor. Decks uh, aren't in favor. If we find out Titan Michael is changed or not printed in M12, this can become a big player overnight. All of a sudden, you're looking at a $10, $12 bit. And the Titan cycle has proven to us that any of them could be worth the most, a quote, on any given month. So what you're saying is if a Valakut deck wins Grand Prix Dallas, the price could just skyrocket. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I don't think the value of the card is going to decline forever. They can very much depend on people uh, what they think, how they think they are going to... Everything I've seen doesn't appear to be... And we have a promo this week, a very special promo. We do. In honor of our writer and uh, Team Fireball, Paul Reitzel, our promo code of the week is Reitzel. Good luck spelling that. You only get the promo code if you spell it right. So <laughs> look them up. Follow them on 
find him on Facebook. Just because you're on Code Suite. And he'll be offering you 100% off of your annual, assuming you get six years or more on tables. So, thanks to you for investing in the final. Again, right, hold your promo code for me. And I've got to say, everyone out there took it in the war version, a lot of fun, especially in the differently than usual promo code, uh, tallying up all the votes and looking at the results. Works walked away with it with a land fire. So, uh, definitely look at the people there, uh, think that the Fregnager was. So basically, what you're saying is if you buy two Primeval Titans and another small card, you can get them for 10% off, even more. There you go. See? It's effectively making those cards, you know, big cards just like I keep thinking they're going to be. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we've had another successful podcast. Um, Again, uh, I will apologize in advance for the audio issues on the podcast. And for... That's most Northern California's... should be another fun and interesting weekend. And on that note, for Tristan and myself, this has been another episode of HeartCast.